Gather round and welcome. This is Liminal Flares, bedtime stories from beyond and in between, readings of eldritch literature drawn from the public domain and amended to be gender-inclusive. My name is Micah, and I am your queer, trans, non-binary narrator. Today we are reading The Raven, written by Edgar Allan Poe. Published in 1845. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Mix, said I, or mystery, truly, your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you, here I opened wide the door, darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, 
Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made they, not a minute stopped or stayed they, but, with mien of nobility, perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. Then, this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance they wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy noble name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though their answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above their chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above their chamber door, with such name as Nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if their soul in that one word they did outpour. Nothing farther than they uttered, not a feather than they fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before. On the morrow they will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken, by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what they utter is their only stock and store. Caught from some unhappy captor, whom unmerciful disaster Followed fast and followed faster, till their songs one burden bore, Till the dirges of their hope that melancholy burden bore Of never, nevermore. But the raven, still beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then, upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking, what this ominous bird of yore 
what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking, nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall press, ah, nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels they hath sent thee, respite, respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, O oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked, upstarting. Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take, take thy, thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven. Nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And their eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er them streaming throws their shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted never, never, never more.
Pose the Raven was the first piece that I amended just for myself, which made it feel like the perfect place to begin together. And because this is my first reading with you, I thought I'd briefly draw aside the curtain and share precisely how I altered this poem to make it gender inclusive. I do not intend to do this for every episode. As I mentioned in my previous introductory episode, if I've done my work well, then my edits for inclusivity should blend in pretty seamlessly. I like to think that not noticing what I've changed indicates that my amendments are doing their intended job, swapping heteronormative, unnecessarily gendered language with inclusive language that doesn't exclude anyone based on their gender. Still, I thought some listeners might appreciate an illustration of precisely how I've changed the pieces that I'll be reading for this podcast, and because this is such a short piece, it won't take me long to explain. There also wasn't a whole lot to change within The Raven, but those edits still made all the difference for me when I first read this version of the poem for myself. So, first of all, throughout the poem, Poe refers to the raven as either it, or using the pronouns he and him, without trying to open debate about gender expression in animals, this is a perfect example of either an assumption about a character's gender, or the very outdated use of he, him, his as default catch-all pronouns. So I changed the raven's pronouns to the inclusive catch-all they, them, theirs. One quick side note. It occurred to me that some people might argue that an author, being the creator of their work, inherently knows the gender of everyone they write about. While I am an inveterate overthinker in general, this is something I've put a lot of thought into as I began working on this show. For those people, I would counter that authors are just as prone to making the same assumptions about the gender of some of their characters, based on their own perceptions, as everyone else makes about people in real life. I also reserve the right to employ a little artistic license and change some characters to be non-binary. Because this podcast isn't only about being able to infer that non-binary people also exist in these stories, it is also about letting them shine as characters in their own right, too. Again, this is why I'm using literature that's in the public domain. Anyway. In the fourth stanza, our grieving narrator calls out, Sir, said I, or Madam, while addressing whoever might be on the other side of their infamous chamber door. This is exactly the sort of collective generalization that assumes that everyone is either a woman or a man. There are quite a few different gender-neutral titles in use these days, not to mention many people who do not use any title at all. To best keep with the sounds and cadence of the poem, I replaced Sir and Madam with the gender-neutral honorifics Mix, M-X, and Mystery, M-R-E. In the seventh stanza, I changed the phrase Lord and Lady to Nobility, and Lordly to Noble in the eighth stanza. In the ninth stanza, our narrator uses the pronoun his when generalizing about no one else having been blessed by seeing a raven in these strange circumstances. So his became their. Finally, I changed the word master to captor in the eleventh stanza. That was my trickiest edit. In fact, in preparing pieces for this podcast, I quickly discovered that amending poetry is a much more challenging task than amending prose. Here, my replacement needed to retain the same meaning as master while still rhyming with the word disaster. 
Captor doesn't achieve quite the perfect rhyming assonance that we get with Poe's master and disaster, but I think it works sufficiently well. And that's it. As I said, it's not much, but it means that when I read this poem, no one was excluded based on their gender. Because the thing is, using the pronouns they, them, theirs doesn't automatically indicate that someone is not a woman or a man. It means that those are not the only two possibilities, and that we aren't making any assumptions about someone who has not provided us with their pronouns, nor can we ask them for them. The most respectful default catch-all pronoun is one that doesn't exclude anyone. Everyone wins when it comes to gender-inclusive language. Thank you for listening to Liminal Flares. Our music is by The Parlor Trick. Audio engineering by Meredith Yayanos. I hope you've enjoyed our time together in this twilight space. If you did and would like to help support our show, subscribe and leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. And please, share us with others who might enjoy our haunted and haunting gender-inclusive story time. P.S. If you have a favorite author or a specific piece of writing, a short story, poem, or passage from a book that's in the public domain in the U.S., I welcome your requests for future episodes. You'll find links to archives of public domain literature in the resources section of our website, liminalflares.com where you'll also find more information about us, this show, and individual episodes as they air. Submit your requests via the website or via social media at Liminal Flares, where you can follow us to learn about future episodes and keep up with what's happening behind the scenes. Next week, a slightly longer episode as we begin reading a disquieting short story by Robert W. Chambers titled The yellow sign. I do hope you'll join me.